Hi everyone, welcome to our online service. It's great to have you join us again today. Uh, well, we're here to worship the one true eternal God. Uh, Psalm 90 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Let's um, begin our time in prayer. Our eternal Father, we praise you because you are our dwelling place. You are a refuge and fortress. You are a present help in danger. In you we do rest secure. Father, you are the eternal God who rules over all. We are finite to creatures depending upon you for every breath and so teach us lord to number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom may your favor rest on us not because of our righteous deeds but because we come in the name of your son jesus oh father we pray that as we hear your word today uh, that your spirit would work powerfully in us so that our hearts might be reshaped in line with the fear of the lord may we not just be hearers today but we pray that we would be doers of your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to finish off our series in the second letter of Peter. And I just want to remind you again uh, what 2 Peter is about. It's a reminder to pursue godliness in light of the second coming. And this last passage that we're looking at today in 2 Peter chapter 3, that, uh, it, it's really the, the final chapter that um, pushes home this point that we are to pursue godliness in light of the second coming of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, open up to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, let's read the word of God. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, 
waiting and for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of God. I want to begin with a question. What role would you say the second coming plays in your life? Or what influence does it have in your life on a day-to-day basis? See, maybe for some of you listening today, perhaps the second coming uh, kind of functions like a fairy tale in your life. You've heard it before, but to you it seems to sound so far-fetched that you wouldn't alter your life over it. Or maybe for you the second coming is one of those embarrassing doctrines. Yeah, you believe it, but you keep it to yourself because you don't want anyone thinking that you're this... Uh, kind of a crazy person who gets all excited about the end of the world. Or perhaps for most of us listening today, maybe the second coming uh, plays the... uh, It's kind of like, I don't know, Melbourne Football Club winning the grand final. Yeah, sure, it could happen one day, maybe. But it seems so far in the future that it doesn't seem to have any relevance to life today. I mean, you wouldn't alter your life over it, just like you wouldn't rush out and buy a membership with the Melbourne Footy Club. And that's probably how many of us think about the second coming. It's going to happen one day, but it just seems so distant that it doesn't have that kind of relevance uh, for day-to-day living. Well, this passage shows us that the second coming of Jesus needs to be front and centre to the way that we live each day. And to get that across, Peter tells us the fact of the second coming he, he confronts the flouting of the second coming. And thirdly, he reminds us of the effects, the effects that the second coming should have on our lives. And so let's think about those three things. Uh, first, the fact. Uh, Peter mentions in verse 1 that this is his second letter to stir them up to godly living. And he does so by reminding them, have a look at verse 2, of the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles. So the the context tells us that the predictions of the prophets that he's referring to are those predictions of the end of the world. You know, the day of the Lord, as as Peter calls it throughout this passage. And so over and over, hundreds of times, the prophets in the past warned about the coming day of the Lord, the day that God would come into the world to judge the world. To, to punish all who have rejected him and all who have rebelled against him. 
And on that day, he will give to every single person exactly what they deserve. There will be absolutely no complaining on the day of judgment because every single person will receive justice. And Peter wrote this letter to remind believers of the day of the Lord, the coming day of the Lord. So what facts do we learn about the day of the Lord from this passage? Well, let's just jump down to uh, verse 10, because in verse 10, we have a very vivid description of what will actually take place on the day of the Lord. And there's four things that Peter tells us. Uh, The first, he tells us that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, how does a thief turn up to your house? Do they send a letter explaining exactly what day and time they will be there? Of course not. They just turn up by surprise. And that's how the day of the Lord will be. It will, we're not told ahead of time what day it will be, what time it will be. It will be like a thief turning up by surprise. And so there's no point trying to predict it. I know so many people throughout history and even today think they have some sense that, oh, it could be soon. What about this day or that day? People make predictions, but we don't know the time. There's no point making predictions because it will be like a thief. It's unannounced, it's sudden, it will be a surprise. Uh, Second, Peter says in verse 10 that the heavens will pass away with a roar. Now, it's not entirely clear what that actually means, but he's saying that the sky will disappear uh, with fire. You know, verse 12 um, explains it a little bit more. Um, But they disappear with a roar. It's like when you go camping and you get a massive branch of um, dry gum leaves and you stick that on the fire and it just roars. That's the idea here. The sky it will disappear with a roar. Uh, thirdly, he tells us that the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Now, it's likely that the heavenly bodies there refers to the sun, uh, the moon, the stars, all of that. And so somehow all of that is going to be incinerated. And the fourth thing Peter tells us in verse 10 is that the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed And that's the point of all this burning up. The idea is God is going to clear everything away so that everything will be exposed. It's almost like uh, the aftermath of a great bushfire. If you've ever been to a a bushland that's, that's been burned, like everything's gone. There are no hiding places left for birds and lizards and things because all the bushes are gone. Everything's exposed. And that's what this is getting at. There will be absolutely nowhere to hide On the day of the Lord, everything will be exposed. And in particular, it says the works, the works that we have done will be completely exposed. And so on that last day, every single one, for every single one of us, we're going to be seen for what we are. There will be nowhere to hide, no rooms to hide in, no more closed doors. Every secret will be out in the open. All the careless words we've spoken, all of the hypocrisy, all of the selfishness, It will all be revealed for what it really is. That's the day of the Lord. So how can anyone survive that day then? Well, you've got to be in Christ. You've got to be in Christ. Uh, Because if you look down at verse 13, notice um, Peter says here uh, that we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the new heavens and the new earth Only righteousness can dwell, which means that if you want to survive Judgment Day and get through into the new heavens and and the new earth, 
you need to be righteous. But the trouble is, none of us are righteous because of our sin. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so clearly, we don't deserve to go into the new heavens and new earth. But the good news is that when we put our faith in Jesus, our sin, all of our sin is credited to Jesus and he was punished for that on the cross. And all of his righteousness, the the perfect record that he has, that's credited to all who believe. And so if you put your faith in Christ, you are considered righteous in God's sight. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, on the day of judgment, you will not be condemned, but rather you will stand and you will enter into that new heavens and and the new earth, the home of righteousness. So Christ's righteousness is the only guarantee to survive the day of judgment. So that's the facts of the second coming. Uh, Second, though, this passage confronts the flouting of the second coming. Now, flout, that means to openly disregard something. And that's, you know, that's what many do. Many flout the second coming. They openly disregard that Jesus is coming again to judge. And the reason Peter had to write this letter is because the second coming was being flouted among the people. Uh, Have a look at verses 3 and 4. Peter says uh, that knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. The last days, by the way, uh, that period of time between the first and second coming of Jesus. So we're in the last days. We've always been in the last days ever since Jesus rose again. So Peter says that in the last days, scoffers will come with their scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, plenty of people still think like that today. Uh, It certainly seems like everything is just continuing as it has, as it's always gone. Um, You know, so it's hard to imagine Judgment Day. And, and when you've got people scoffing at you or ridiculing you for belief in that, it, it even feels harder to believe or harder to imagine that, yes, judgment actually is coming. And so Peter answers the scoffers here in verses 5 and 10. So let's follow his reasoning here. Uh, first, he answers the question of certainty. How can we be sure that Jesus is coming again? How can we be certain that the world isn't just going to keep going on like it does day after day how do we know it's not just going to keep going like that until everything is extinct and and nothing matters anymore how can we be certain well listen to verses 5 to 7 for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of god and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished but by the same word The heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. See, Peter is saying that if you can't accept the coming judgment day, then your problem is not with judgment day, it's with creation. Because, think about it, God created the whole world, as Peter says, by his word. He formed the earth by his word, and by that same word... God has promised judgment day. And so if you follow the logic there, 
Peter is saying that the fact that there is a creation at all points to the certainty of God's judgment because both are dependent on God's word. Creation exists by God's word, therefore judgment is coming by that same word. And it's a good point to think about because there's lots of people today who accept that there's a God who created the world or at least think that God set everything in motion. Uh, but, they, but they reject the idea of Judgment Day. You know, they don't want to be accountable. But that's actually to believe a contradiction. If God can intervene at the start of everything, then surely he can intervene at the end of everything to judge. And look, if God made everything, why would he remain indifferent to the way it operates? Uh, why would he ignore the way that his creation are treating each other and the way his creation are treating him? In fact, Peter reminds us that God has intervened in judgment in the past in the flood. Now, he judged the ungodly um, by way of flood. And so if he's done that once, then it's just a matter of time before he does it again with the whole world. Judges the ungodly. But what do you say to people who reject the idea of um, God altogether? You know, they, they reject the existence of God just say that creation just sort of came about by itself, by chance. And therefore, if there's no God, then no judgment day. So how do you answer that? Well, if, if we put aside the fact that it actually takes a lot more faith to believe that the earth created itself uh, than it does for to believe an eternal God created the world, that's another issue. But here's the thing. If you reject God as creator and judge, then essentially you reject any basis for meaning in life. Uh, if, if everything is just here by chance, and eventually all that we do will be forgotten, uh, then ultimately our lives don't matter. And so whether you live a good life or an evil life, whether you uh, live a noble life or, or a violent and oppressive life, ultimately... If everything we do is just going to be forgotten, then ultimately it doesn't matter. Which means that if you reject God as creator and judge, then you have no basis for getting upset with injustice and oppression. Because what is all of that? It's just the survival of the fittest. You know, if one, one group of people oppresses another group of people, isn't it just all survival of the fittest in the end? But see, no one lives like that. Everyone gets upset with injustice, and especially if it's personal. And so surely that points to the fact that deep down, we really do acknowledge and maybe even hope that there is a day of reckoning, that there is a day when evil will finally be sorted out. It seems as though everyone has that hope because everyone gets upset with injustice. And so the existence of creation by God's word the, the cry of injustice, these things point to the certainty of the coming judgment day, the day of the Lord. Well, next Peter answers the question of timing, because remember the scoffers were saying, where is this promised coming? In other words, why isn't it here yet? And again, we can relate to that because it's been another 2000 years since this letter was written. So where is his coming? And this is actually a very important question um, today because often the real objection that people have with the God of the Bible is why doesn't he intervene and stop all the terrible things that are happening? 
you know, lots of people say that the fact that there is so much evil and suffering in the world, that that proves that there can't be a loving and powerful God, because if there was a loving and powerful God, then he would do something about it. He would prevent all this evil and suffering from happening. And, you know, sometimes we can see something that's so distressing that we can actually feel the weight of that argument. And we might wonder, yeah, where is God in the face of all this evil? Why does he take so long to bring judgment? Why is he so slow to fulfill his promise? Well, listen to the way Peter answers all of this uh, in verses 8 and 9. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now notice Peter's answer there has two parts to it. Uh, The first is that God doesn't look at time the same way that we do. You know, he says, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Now, that's an analogy taken from Psalm 90 verse 4, which reminds us that God is eternal and therefore uh, works in a vastly different time frame uh, to us. See, what we count as slowness is not slowness uh, to God at all. Um, It's just all a matter of perspective. You know, it's it's like that with um, children compared to adults. You know, a child's perspective of time is far different uh, to an adult's. So, you know, a little, to a little child, one year is like a lifetime. And so if you say to your um, a little child at the moment, uh, you know, sorry, you can't have a big birthday party this year because of COVID. You can't invite all your friends. But that's okay because next year we'll make up for it. Forget it. That's not going to help. You know, that's, that's forever away. Uh, you know, and children, you, you go for a drive in the car, a long drive. And what are they saying? Are we there yet? Why? Because it feels like forever. See, if a child's perspective of time is so much different to an adult's perspective, then imagine the difference between us and God, perspective of time. You know, what we see as slow is not slow at all. 2,000 years since this letter was written, it's like two days for God, if you do the maths. Uh, He will come in his time. But the other side to this question of timing Uh, is that God has a very good reason for not having already come uh, to sort out the injustice. And it's a very personal and loving reason. See, look at it again. It says, He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Aren't you glad that God didn't come in judgment the day before you came to repentance? Because what would that mean for you? Eternally lost. See, what an incredibly gracious and patient God we have. He gave you time to come to repentance. I mean, the fact that God tells us about Judgment Day at all is a sign of his grace because he could have just come without any warning. He just could have turned up. Surprise, Judgment Day. But he gave you time to repent. But I wonder if there are any listening today who who still haven't come to repentance Uh, Perhaps you're still hanging on to your independence, saying, you know, I want to live my way, not God's way. Or perhaps some of you are hanging on to some secret sin, not wanting to give it up. Or perhaps you're still arrogantly trusting in your own good works, thinking I'm good enough for heaven. 
in my own works. But you need to realize that God's patience towards you is not indifference. Don't ever presume on God's patience. Don't keep putting off, repenting. Uh, you need to repent before it's too late because what does the next verse say? It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That means it could be any time. And so make sure you repent now. You need to be ready now for the coming of the Lord. And what does repentance mean? It means, first of all, acknowledging that you are a sinner, that you can't save yourself, that your good works are not going to save you on the day of judgment. And it means recognizing that your only hope is in Jesus, in his righteousness. And repentance means turning your life around, no longer living as if you are in charge of your own life, but rather submitting to the Lord. Don't put that off any longer. God is holding back judgment so that people can come to repentance. So do that now before it's too late. See, the flouting of judgment day doesn't work. The day of the Lord is coming. It is certain. Uh, it will be a surprise. It could be any time soon. So what difference then should it make to our lives? And that's where Peter finishes this letter. Uh, in the rest of the passage, Peter tells us the effects uh, that the second coming should make in our lives. So have a look from verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God? So clearly we can see there that the, the day of the Lord is supposed to make a huge difference to the way we live each day. It's, it's actually like the first coming of Jesus. The first coming of Jesus makes a huge difference to how we live every day. You know, every moment is to be a moment of responding to and living in light of the cross and the resurrection. You know, Jesus has died for our sins. He's risen to be Lord. Every moment is about living in light of that. And here we are reminded in 2 Peter that the second coming is to play that same role. Jesus is coming again. Therefore, live every moment in light of that. So what does that look like in practice? Well, let's just finish by noting three differences that Peter uh, describes here in these verses about the, the differences that the second coming should make. And first of all, if you look at verse 12 again, you can see there that it says we uh, should be those who are waiting. Verse 12, waiting for the coming day of God. And so that has that sense of anticipation and longing. Uh, you know, think about the greatest experience you've ever had in this life uh, i don't know uh, your wedding day or, or uh, the birth of first baby or um what else is there i don't know but whatever the the best experience you've ever had uh, maybe buying your first home um but think about the weeks and months leading up to that you know the excitement the longing the the sense of anticipation well all of that is nothing the best experience we can have, it's nothing compared to what Jesus is going to bring because it says in verse um, 13 uh, that we're waiting uh, for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So can you imagine a world that has all of the good things from now, like food and recreation, uh, work, creativity, adventure, um, relationships, music, 
uh, exploration, all of these good things. Can you imagine all of that? But without sin, uh, without uh, pain, without suffering and without death. Can you imagine a world like that? That's what's coming. And best of all, God will be there. God will be right at the center, the home of righteousness. That's what we have to look forward to. See, the best is still to come. Nothing in this life will compare. And so what do we do? We wait with excitement. There's that sense of longing. That's what it looks like to live in light of the second coming. Uh, Second, though, uh, Peter says we are to hasten the day. So look at that in verse 12. You know, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. Now, how can we make the day of the Lord come any faster? Well, if God is patiently holding it back to give you time to repent, then one of the ways you speed it up is by repenting now, if you haven't already. But on top of that, uh, if God is delaying this day uh, so that all of his elect would come to repentance, then one of the ways that we hasten it or speed it up is by joining in this task of calling people to repentance, You know, sharing the good news of Jesus. That's how we speed it up. That's certainly one of the things we ought to be doing in light of the coming day of the Lord. And the third difference, of course, is uh, that um, the second coming should cause us to pursue godliness. So verse 11, you can see that there, you know, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. Uh, Verse 14, he says it again, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We should pursue godliness. Uh, You know, if we don't want to be ashamed on that day when we stand before Jesus, we ought to pursue godliness because that's the only way we don't waste this new life that he has given us. And the whole letter has been about this. You know, pursue godliness in light of the second coming. And right at the end, Peter sums it all up down in verse 18 by saying, Uh, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now see this little benediction at the end? To him be the glory. See, it reminds us that Jesus is glorious, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the Lord and the Saviour, that he is the one who is patient and gracious Uh, You know, he truly is glorious right now because he's risen and when we see him again at the end. And we are to live in light of that, the glory of Jesus. Uh, And we do that by growing in the grace and knowledge of, of Jesus, as Peter says there in verse 18. And that's actually how we pursue godliness. Uh, We looked at that back in the first one out of this series, that the way we pursue godliness is by our knowledge of Christ, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. The more we get to know him, uh, the, the more we become like him. That's how it works. And that's what he saved us for. We are saved to become like him. That's how we bring glory to God in the world, as our lives reflect his character. So judgment day, it is coming and it will be a terrible day for the unrepentant. But for those who are in Christ, it will be a glorious day. It will be the start of a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And so we can already taste that day now. 
we can already get a like an, an appetizer, a foretaste of it as we live righteously now, as we live in light of it. It's almost like getting one foot in the door. But what a day it will be. Let's long for that day. Let's keep our sights fixed on that. And let's live every day in light of that. Let's pursue godliness. Well, let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we're so thrilled to think that one day we will see Jesus in all his glory. And we're overwhelmed to think that it will be the beginning of a transformation of the entire universe, a new heaven and a new earth. And most of all, Father, we we are so grateful that even though we deserve to be condemned on Judgment Day for our sin, that Jesus came the first time and was condemned in our place so that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a glorious hope this is. And so, Father, help us not to lose sight of this, uh, even though there's um, so much that we can enjoy in this world. Uh, there, is, there is so many wonderful things, all uh, just your common grace that we can experience each day. Um, but, Lord, we, we remember here that this, isn't, this current state of this earth is not our true home. It's not the home of righteousness. Uh, right now there is sin and rebellion and suffering and death. And right now even the best things that we have are ruined Uh, because of sin and so help us father to uh, not be too comfortable here help us to remember that this is not our true home that we have something so much better to come we pray lord that that would uh, spur us on to not um, live for here and now but to live each day in light of the second coming father we pray that uh, you would help us to long for the most important thing and that is to see your face We thank you for that hope. We pray that this would shape our hearts. Uh, We pray that we would even hasten the day by repenting of sin and by participating in calling others uh, to repentance as well. May we share the gospel with those around us and we pray, Father, that, that Jesus would be glorified through our lives as we pursue godliness. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I'm going to finish this uh, with... 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.